Hello, and welcome to Comically Pedantic, where we take a detailed look at the complicated concepts, characters, and history of comic book culture. I'm your host, Eric L. Chase, and joining me on this episode, as always, is the wonderful Corinne Levy. We now join your regularly scheduled programming already in progress. Um, so this issue is a very special issue, which I have had the privilege to read. It is Amazing Spider-Man 400. This one kind of has two different titles. The one inside of the comic, it's called The Gift. And I kind of wish that they kept it at that. And unfortunately, they did not. Which is because the other um, title, which I don't really want to say right now. Do you want to? We can, I, we can cut. We can do the the other title at the. I'll end. I'll do the other and, title at the end. Because we, there's um, also we're gonna have to talk about the cover too. <laughs> yes. So we'll go over all of that at the end. But the the front page, the front cover is actually. But we're just going to call it the gift right now because it is really special. And I'm going to just real quick before we get to the actual story. When you open this issue, there's like a little letter. And it is uh, from Stan Lee. So I just wanted to read that real quick. Wow. Did it really happen more than 30 years ago? It seems like only yesterday that I, as a comic book writer slash editor, was trying to convince our publisher to give artist Steve Ditko, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, uh, and me the go-ahead to try a new superhero strip called Spider-Man. I never expected the reaction we received. We were told, you can't call a hero Spider-Man, people hate spiders. Then when I said Spidey would be a teenager, Mr. Publisher blew a gasket. Teenager can't be a superhero. Teenagers are only sidekicks. And finally, after being told that trouble-plagued Peter Parker would be the original hard luck kid with all the problems and hang-ups of of any average teenager, he went ballistic. Are you off your rocker? Whoever heard of heroes with everyday problems? Heroes are superior to other people. They don't have ordinary problems. That's why they're heroes. Well, you get the idea. The Amazing Spider-Man was not an easy sell, but truth, justice, and the American way finally triumphed. And in the months that followed, a perceptive, culturally cognizant, socially aware reading public proved that even an all-knowing publisher can be wrong. And now, three dazzling decades later, Thanks to the uncanny acumen of fans such as you, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is known and loved throughout the globe. So thanks for being with us to celebrate his 400th incredible issue, and be sure to catch us again when number 1000 rolls around. Excelsior! It is signed by Stan Lee. And I may have not done the best reading of that, but I thought that that was just a nice, like, special story. And I think it kind of goes to what I was saying before about like why I like Ben Riley's story of it's like, it's just a guy figuring out who he is. Yeah. And like, that is a normal person conflict. And that is really special when you get to see these people that you think are super powerful, like have normal problems. And it kind of, showed me that letter being like, oh yeah, that is why Spider-Man is special. And like, maybe he wasn't my favorite superhero before, but he's a good superhero. And I think that that whole letter explains why. Um, So congrats to 400 a little while, like a while ago. I thought that was nice and special. Yeah, I did like, Spider-Man was one of my favorite superheroes when I when I was younger I still really like Spider-Man but I think there's a lot that I that is piled on top of him there's a lot of like excess baggage that kind of uh weighs down my enjoyment of the the character uh this being one of them the clone saga and like the stuff well and I think piled onto him yeah and I think the the things that you and I struggle with in this are all of the extra fluffy, crazy yeah. problems. 
as opposed to like, you know, the self-discovery part of it. Because the self-discovery part of it is really cool and it could even be like, great. If it just like so much of the extra crazy fluffy stuff wasn't so much so. Because like obviously with comics, you're supposed to have some crazy stuff. You're dealing with superheroes. But like, I don't know. Sometimes bird poison makes me wonder. Was <laughs> like, that necessary? Well, maybe the bird poison was necessary, but but is Kane necessary? <laughs> no, and there yeah, is a reason that's where, why. Like it, that's when where they, the fluff gets weird. When they do adaptations of Spider-Man, when they go in to do a Spider-Man movie or like a uh, a cartoon show or something like that, so often they focus on the early days of Spider-Man. And that's because those are the ones that are about like someone trying to 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 figure out their their place in the world, trying to be a good person, uh, and a lot of like there there is magic between Stanley and Steve Ditko. As much as they did not get along very well, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there was they 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 had a way of making things just. Pop. Uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of like the opposite of like the artists we were talking about in one of the issues that I wasn't a fan of. Like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe like those artists were friends in real life, but they weren't great team players. And then right. you and, these and in two the early days may not of, have been great friends, but they were good teammates. In the early days of Marvel, you had Stan and, and Stanley and Jack Kirby doing like everything and then right. Stanley and Steve Ditko mostly just doing Spider-Man and like Doctor Strange stuff like that and right. there n- none of these people are like friends or, or well were they're they're all dead now but like when they were doing this work um I think there was a friendship that started but you know business can sometimes come in, the, in between that, Stan is a very uh, outspoken, uh, very or was a very boisterous personality, and that cannot always be a good thing to be around, you know. And yeah, it's not I everyone's th- cup of tea for companionship. That's okay. Well, and I think you can also you can see where someone who is buying maybe into their own mythology could. Yeah. for a while not be a good person and then come out of that being like, wow, I did a lot of shitty stuff. Right. Uh, I think Stan is one of those people. But you have these people who like worked so well together. They lit- Between Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and Stan Lee, you have pretty much all of Marvel comes from these yeah. three people. It is insane. And... uh that that story of of uh Spider-Man stemming from you know you you can't do this you can't do that like that that's true uh, Spider-Man debuted in Amazing Fantasy 15 and the reason why it was the the 15th issue of that because that was an anthology and they yeah. they threw that on because it was a dying book and they were canceling it. Right. But Spider-Man was so popular. For, like, that was one of their most popular books. That's why they yeah. decided to go further with it. Like, it is fascinating the way that this has... You go from that to 400 issues of Amazing Spider-Man later. Yeah, it's a cool accomplishment. And it's like, it's a cool thing to be proven wrong. Like, I very much like to say that I like to be proven wrong when it comes to, like, first impressions. Um, (laughs) Because there's some people that it's like, I met them, like, for maybe, like, the first one or two impressions. And I was like, man, I don't like this person. I'm, like, not a fan of this. This is not fun for me. These are not good interactions. I'm not, like, or I, I was told too much shit about the person from like another person. And I was like, these are just bad first impressions. I'm not mm-hmm. a fan. And then after like maybe three or four more interactions, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I was wrong. These people are like, these guys are fun. <laughs> or like, this is actually like, I'm glad I now have developed my own opinion. I like to be proven wrong. 
And I like that kind of Spider-Man had the same kind of thing. He got to prove yeah. people wrong. That's fun. Um, so let's get into the gift of the 400th issue. This is written by J.M. DeMatteis, and penciler is Mark Bagley, and anchor is Larry Malstead. And there are more people, I'm sure. I'm going to have to find them, because for some reason, I only write half the credit. I got to get better have, with that. I have it in front of me, if you want. If you would uh, like to finish it off so we could properly honor this issue. <laughs> sure. So, um, in addition to inking on the gift, we had Randy Emberlin. Colorist was Bob Sharon. Letterer was Bill Oakley. Uh, and there are actually two stories after the gift, but we can get into those later if need be. Okay. Also, like one of them I will recap in my next episode. Right. Yeah. And I think this was like a really nice team before we like again fully get into it. Um I thought the writing was really nice overall. And also the art that went with the panels. I thought was really nice. Like there were certain parts where I was like, wow, these people's faces look great. And like the, the expressions they're making are really nice and like really true. And like you get a lot of emotion from them and it's very cool. Yeah. Mark Bagley is, is one of my favorite uh, artists when it comes to this kind of stuff. And like, this is, this is like in a, you know, it's an emotional issue. It's one of those very like character based ones which is it's very nice to get like the proper they picked the right people to do this one and they made a note in the very beginning this is like specifically dedicated to stanley just as a note um so we are gonna begin the scene with aunt may she is awake as we said before little finger guns of confetti and peter is rushing into the hospital he is like super thrilled he's got like happy tears that she's like finally awake Aunt May's really happy to see him and she's just like she's like all right we're gonna go home in the morning and their doctor is like whoa 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 I want to run some more tests <laughs> like I'd like you to stay for like a couple more days and Aunt May's like nope I'm fine I'm going home. I don't care what you say. I'm going home. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. I feel fine. I'm going home. And so the doctor happens back and forth. And Peter Parker's like, I don't know. Like, maybe we should keep you here. If like doctor wants to run tests. And she's like, nope, I'm going home. Like she's just, she's ready. She knows what she wants to do. While this like debate is happening, Peter Parker, like, goes to like briefly look out the window and just like sees a glimpse of like the scarlet spider out the window like escaping because <laughs> he's just been he's been keeping a watchful eye this whole time. You saw it in the very beginning like with the exile returns him kind of peeking in on May and then like escaping before Peter Parker shows up. And there's a point in Peter Parker's like, man, I can't believe that he's like being so reckless, just like dressed as Spider-Man, staring into this window, because like Aunt May's like afraid of Spider-Man and like she would have a heart attack if she saw Spider-Man out the window. Like, what the hell? And uh mm -hmm. Ben Riley, as he's like climbing up now from his point of view, he's like I've been doing like my own thing now for five years and it's like, I know who I am and I have my self identity, but it's just like, there's some people where it's like, like Aunt May that he just like, he holds so incredibly close to him because that's just like one of those memories that's like, I can't let go of, like, I have such strong feeling of like love and compassion towards this like woman. Like, right. I got to check on her, which is like, I get that. That makes sense. There's some things that you just, like, can't shake off from, you know, whatever. As he's, like, escaping the hospital scene, uh, Scarlet Spider catches a glimpse of Kane, 
but it's only for a second. He disappears in a flash of lightning. And literally the scene ends with <laughs> Ben Riley being like, ah, yes, Kane, one of my enemies. <laughs> no clue why he wants to destroy me. <laughs> I'm like, that's how it ends. And I'm like, me too. Me freaking too. There is an interlude with the Jackal and he's at Ravencroft and he's like, I want to get out of here. Get me out. I'm not crazy. Like, blah, 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 blah. And, like, he attracts the attention of a guard. And, like, when the guard is close enough to, like, his window, he's like, I'm not actually crazy. I'm actually just super dangerous. And if I wanted to get out of here, I could. And I could turn your head into a melon and (laughs) eat your face. (laughs) But this is where I want to be. I'm exactly where I want to be. Mahahaha. I'm going to go back to pretending I'm crazy now. And it's just like, it's a super weird scene. And I'm like, all right, that's the end of that. I it, it, It's a weird thing for Jackal to be pretending to be crazy and be so a- acting crazy in pretty much every other scene. So there's really no difference, you know, in. Yeah, it's. It's an interesting character, and it just, like, I I think the only purpose of this scene was to remind it, to be a reminder of, like, hey, this isn't over. He's going to come back. He's where he wants to be. I think that's, like, kind of all it served. Um, yeah. Which is just, I think what happened is this was maybe a thing that was added, po- like, during editing, maybe. Because, again, if we thought that this was going to be the last issue of the Clone Saga, I think why would had, you add this? I think they had, the idea was they were going to end it here, but when they went into, like, a, probably a few months before this, they were like, oh, hey, this is doing fine. Let's extend it out. And so a lot of their plans to wrap things up here, That's I think that's why you get the... Uh, the loose ends to keep coming back. Yeah. And then, then you get like, oh, well, now we got to check in on Jackal and stuff like that. But I think yeah, that being said, you know, the everything else seems to be working just fine. And so far, the loose ends are annoying, but they're not, they're not destroying the story. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. But we're going to get back to the better part of the story now. <laughs> Aunt May gets home. Mary J has just like cooked all of her food for her and like cleaned up the house for her. And Aunt May is being very like kind of just remembering the past, just kind of like everything's like how it was before this house smells like years ago, like kind of things like that, where it's like, she's just looking back a lot, very fondly. And she congratulates MJ on her baby, though. She was not told explicitly about the baby. She just kind of, she's like, I know these things. And then kind of retells a story of like, I remember when Peter's mom, like, you know, got pregnant and like the whole story with that. And Mm. again, she's just, she's really like, she's being very reminiscent and like to her heart and just kind of sharing all these stories that she wants to share. And it's really nice. Um, She's being the sweet grandma that like, yes, we love. She's being very like family oriented. Mm -hmm. And She's moving a bit slow and a bit uneasy. And, the you know, our lovely married couple of, of Peter and MJ, they're like, are you okay? Like, are you sure you, like, we shouldn't have kept you at the hospital? And she's like, nope, I'm exactly where I want to be. Like, I'm just going to go take some of my medication and I'm going to go to bed and I'm fine. So, yeah, so she goes to bed. It's all nice and stuff. and suddenly. Um, Scarlet Spider turns up and like kind of sneaks Peter away to like talk in private in secret without anybody seeing them. And this whole conversation essentially is Ben 
telling Peter that he's going away for good. And no matter what kind of gaslighting the Jackal was trying to pull, he knows like who he is and what he wants to be. And this is essentially just Ben saying goodbye. And he promises that like Peter's never going to see him again. He's like, we're not, you're doing your own thing. You're going to go do your own thing. We're not going to keep in touch. Like, I'm wishing you the best, but like, I'm staying away from you. Right. So I can go be me. And it's very interesting to see like how Peter reacts because he's kind of like, he wants Ben to keep in touch with him. Even though like in the past, it was very much like he didn't really want anything to do with Ben. So it's very interesting to see how his like opinion has changed since the whole like Jackal debacle. Cause I, you can kind of tell, excuse me, that, um, his experience with the Jackal really like shook him up kind of existentially. And it's kind of made him appreciate who Ben is in relation to him. I was going to say, even in the, the previous uh, story that we, we just covered, Peter thinks of Ben as a brother. Yeah. It like slowly develops and you kind of see the peak of that here. Because Peter kind of realizes, like, oh, man, I'm going to, like, I don't really want this person to go. I understand why they're doing it, but, like, you know, I don't want them fully gone from my life. Right. But as of now, Ben is is leaving. He's going to be gone. Uh, Upstairs, Aunt May is discussing with MJ the importance of being your spouse's friend. And kind of like she's going back to talking about her marriage to Uncle Ben and Peter's like parents and how like, you know, they were not just like partners, but they were friends. And that friendship is important in, you know, a strong like romantic relationship, which was like really cool. I was like, this is a great conversation. And I totally like it's a thing I agree with. Um, oh, yeah. In ge- like, man, Aunt May slaps. She's just the best character. <laughs> Compare this to every time Aunt Anna has shown up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny, though, because Aunt May better. is just like, Aunt Anna's still my best friend. Like, <laughs> she yeah. does. And, like, they kind of just talk about Aunt May's like, oh, and, you know, your aunt and I were trying to get you like and Peter together for so long. And like, again, with the, with friendship and relationships and things like that. And it's just like a, it's a very nice conversation that she has with MJ. And it's, it's pretty much like just being like, I really love that you're there for my son slash nephew kind of situation or grandson, whatever. And like, you know, just I'm really happy that you're in his life and that you're in my life. It's a very like kind validating experience. And then she goes to sleep. She's like, good night. Snooze, snooze, snooze. And then they go downstairs and Peter and MJ are watching like some old home videos of Peter's childhood. And this kind of makes Peter have like an existential crisis about his memories and like, how they define him as a person. And this apparently, like, this surprised me because Mary Jane is just like, does this have anything to, like, this is about Ben Riley, isn't it? So she knows about Ben Riley and the clones and everything. She's just never seen them. I thought I she had. I would imagine. I guess I just didn't I would imagine think that, that she Peter knew anything that. about them. I mean, like, he, they, they're married. Yeah, I guess I kind of forget sometimes that, like, she knows he's Spider-Man. But yeah, I, I mean, they are married, and it makes sense that, like, Peter would tell her about just, you know, these big important... I mean, imagine if he didn't, and then Ben shows up, like... Yeah, like, that would have been pretty wild. So, I just, I guess I just, it wasn't a thing that I thought about. I was like, yeah, she probably doesn't know. And then I was like, oh... Yeah, they they would know. But essentially, like, the whole, like, is this about Ben Riley thing 
the scene ends with like her being like, look, we have our life together. Your life is yours and ours. You're fine. Like kind of basically like telling Peter what Ben Riley had to tell himself. Right. You know what I say? But yeah. it's it's kind of cool to see how that conversation happens when you have you like your significant other telling you. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. Um and again it kind of shows that it's like she she is his friend and um you know is there for him. So that was nice. Now, if we zoom out of the house and this very nice scene, <laughs> there is just like a man on the other side of the street, kind of stalking the Parker house. And it's very bizarre. We're like, who is this man? He's got very round glasses and a trench coat and a fedora. He's a man of mystery. It's very bizarre. And he is on a call with. Judas Traveler. Oh, everyone's favorite. <laughs> everyone's favorite convenient man. Mm -hmm. And so he is communicating the Parker whereabouts to Judas Traveler. And Judas Traveler is with this woman named Medea. I don't know. I don't think she's come up here before. Yeah. So she, Medea was with Judas Traveler during the power and responsibility uh, arc. Oh, but okay. She was one of the people that did it didn't matter she it, it was just like his his pack of people and like none of them were any any like special uh, there was nothing to them uh yeah, for I me to you. really give a shit about their names <laughs> okay um but yeah so he's with medea and they're like they're planning to mess with peter and ben in some way and we discover that the man who is outside of the house, his name is Mr. Noct. Okay. I have not heard that name before. He also might have been one of the people that was with the the Traveler gang. But like, okay, one of the Travelers. They're all so weird and just not, none of them stand out. That's the end of that whole scene, essentially. And then we go away from the house. We go to where Ben Riley is. And he... It's kind of like he was supposed to have left by now, but he he's struggling to do so. He just like he can't quite pack up his things and go. And I think it's it's kind of supposed to be like the real final test. Like he wants to go be his own person, but like he just he feels like he has to stay a little longer. He feels like something's keeping him here. And he can't quite figure yeah. out what it is. And it's kind of torturing him a little bit. Uh, yeah. And then it goes straight to a tiny scene with Peter Parker 3.0. And <laughs> he's sitting on a bench having his own little. <laughs> yes, P3PO. I forgot about that already. <laughs> um, so P3PO, he's sitting on a bench. He's in a lot of mental distress because he's just like, I don't know who I am. I don't know where to go. I have no resources except for my jeans and t-shirt and jacket. And like, so he's just been sitting on this bench for a couple hours, apparently. Mm -hmm. And he gets approached by a police officer who's like, young man, you've been sitting on that bench with your hand holding your head for so long. Like, you got to get out of here. You got to go find a place to sleep. And P3PO's like, I don't have a place to sleep. I didn't think that through. And the cop, like, accuses him of being drunk. And then P3PO's like, wait, I'm not drunk. I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm just really confused. And the, the police officer is like, let, let me see your ID. And he's like, I don't have an ID. <laughs> and then suddenly his body just takes control. And he just, like, crawls up a wall and flees the scene. Which really confuses him. He's like, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> What's happening to me? Um, why did I flee the scene? He's really confused. How did I crawl up a wall? <laughs> He's like, what the heck is happening? 
that's not what I wanted to do. Like, it was just like his body was an autopilot. It was very bizarre. Yeah. Um, now, we're going to flash forward to uh, a week. A week has gone by now. Okay. And it's like a, it is a perfectly normal, uneventful week. Nothing happens. Like everything's just copacetic and chilling and good and fine. Uh, Peter takes like Aunt May out on like a little, like a little, like, you know, little day trip, mother son kind of date kind of thing. Yeah. And they go to the top of the Empire State Building. And Aunt May is like, oh, this is like one of my favorite places to go all the time. Like Uncle Ben would take me and sure it was like a cheap date, but it's always like such a beautiful view. And like, she's just having a very nice time being up here and she's happy to like be out and about um, and not kind of just in bed. And there's a point where she's like, Peter, how does it feel flying around the city from building to building? And he's like, feels pretty great. Wait a minute. <laughs> how do you, like, I'm so, and, and he like, he realizes that she knows that like he's Spider-Man. Right. And she's like, and he's just starts apologizing. He's like, I'm so sorry. I never told you. I just, I just felt like, you know, you were so afraid of him and I didn't want you to be afraid of me. And he's like trying to explain himself. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. Like, you know, you did what you had to do and you did the right thing. And like, how, like, how could I not know? Like, cause of course it's you. And just like your uncle Ben would be so proud and like you just have like such a good soul all of these things and then eventually she's just like i'm proud of you and they hug on top of the empire state building and it's just like the cutest little panel and i was like oh my god it was really nice um i had a very good time reading it and it was just like peter getting the like the piece of validation that he needed as a person, like he got his like maternal figures approval in his life, which was like really cool and really special. And I really enjoyed that. Um, after this really nice scene, though, things start to go a little South. Aunt May starts to not feel very well. And she's like, I'd like to go home now. Like we got to go home. And so they get her home, they get her in bed, and she's like, it's my time. And, mm -hmm. like, you kind of see it coming as you're reading it, because it's just, like, it's very much just, like, you're seeing the scene of this, like, old woman doing, like, she she's very clearly finishing things up as she's, yeah, like, I mean, talking it, to people. You get to, there's the, can, seeing Peter connect with, like, old memories, lots of, uh, Th and Aunt a sense May of kind of talking about the importance of like relationships and like, you know, uh, yeah. validating that it's okay that he's Spider-Man. Like she's very clearly like she's settling the score. She's doing, she's laying her cards down on the table. Right. She's walking away. And she's just like, she's, she has time alone. Nobody else is in the house yet. It's just her and Peter before like, his wife and like Aunt Anna come in and everything and are with him in the end. But right. they get this very nice goodbye. There's a lot of references to like Peter Pan in like their goodbye dialogue. I get I I guess it was like a story that she would read to him. Yeah, and I don't bed. know. There was that weird scene in a previous story where Peter like kinda dies. And he goes to that, like, weird nexus heaven thing. Right. So, so she tells him during that weird death. Like, uh, go to the second star to the right. Yeah, the whole. Straight till morning. Yeah, she does the Peter Pan thing. And yeah. he mentions that he had, like, a nightmare where he died. And that's yeah. what 
she told him to do. So now she's now he's telling her to do the same. And then she like passes away in her bed and Peter's there and you know MJ and her aunt show up and it's they're all just together. There's a couple of panels where it's just like you know time passing, there's no words and then it's like the photo of her like gravestone and i think it says it says like uh she she taught love oh. and it's right next to to uncle ben's gravestone and it's like uh he was loved kind of thing and it's like a, it's a very nice duo of like they're together again right and there is a funeral. It's a it's a small panel that kind of goes with like the silent mm-hmm. set of panels. Um, and as this is going on, like when she passes away in the house, uh, Ben Riley is on the roof of the house. Yeah, and that watch, is kind watch. of yeah. And he's like he's alone, and he's very you know, distraught and grieving alone. And at the end of the funeral, he goes to the grave alone to like pay his respects. So it's, you're seeing kind of like the two ways that it's like people are grieving about it. And that's kind of like the thing that was holding him back from fully leaving. Cause I, it's like, it was alluded that like he could sense that like something was going on. Yeah. Yeah. With her. So this whole kind of like, funeral and grieving period is is very abruptly stopped because there's like a knock at Peter's apartment he's with his wife and it's the police and they're like we have a warrant for your arrest <laughs> the warrant has come in and like Mary Jane's just like what are you talking about like he, he didn't do anything like this is insane what are these charges even? And they're like, murder. (laughs) It's like, uh, and he gets taken away in a police car. And as he's driving away, he sees the Scarlet Spider is on top of his house. And Peter's just like, what the hell? This is insane. And inside the house, Mary Jane is like freaking out. She's like, oh my God, I have to find a lawyer. Who am I going to call? Like, I can't call Matt Murdock because he's dead, but apparently he's not dead because he's Daredevil. And, like, I don't know who to call. And then she's like, no, I just got to go to the police station. Like, Peter needs me right now. And so she's, like, about to run out the door, and then all of a sudden, just, like, Scarlet Spider's in the house. And he's like, hey, it's about time we met face-to-face. And he, like, pulls off his mask, and it's it's Ben Riley, Flash (laughs) Peter Parker's face. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. It's, it's a very, like, high energy ending because it's just full of panic when you were just at such a low, grieving, sentimental moment. It's like, re- it just really, like, pitches up. It's kind of crazy. And it just, it really shows you that, like, it's not, it, it's now not over. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You had, like, a lot of, like, things, things are, Things were like coming to like like a nice conclusion. If it were to end here, it kind of would be like, yes, Peter's moving to the next hardship, but now he has better tools to take care of himself, and he's like gonna be with his partner to deal with it, kind of thing. Right. <laughs> but not anymore. <laughs> nope. And then they were just like, "Fuck it, we're gonna do a whole new thing now." Yeah, and then they kind of take it a little further. They have, like, a little... I can't really call it an epilogue, because it's not... It's not fully, like, directly after this. It's just kind of, like, an, a, a back-end interlude, really, where it's Peter has a nightmare remembering, like, the burglar that killed Uncle Ben, and he's like, oh, like, you know it's like a point where he was wondering if he should like kill the burglar or not. And then he wakes up and he's like, ah, my uncle. And this is like very far back when he's like a teenager of like, and he's like, 
well, I want to show Aunt May that, like, you know, he got justice still because Spider-Man saved the day. And, like, he's maybe going to tell Aunt May that he's Spider-Man. And it's at a point where Aunt May was very afraid of Spider-Man. And he's, like, feeling a lot of this, like, as his fault. Yeah. Like, and that's, and he's determined to just make everything right again. And that's kind of where that back end interlude ends. Back end flashback maybe is a better term because it's very clearly like when he's a teenager kind of starting out. Yeah, this is actually specifically supposed to be the day after. Yeah, it's called the morning after. Yeah, it was an interesting thing to add at the end of this. Like, because we just got to, if anything, it would have been better to start with the morning after and then do the gift because it would have reminded readers like this is how Peter always thinks Aunt May thinks of Spider-Man and then you end with her being like I approve I'm proud of you yeah I mean I kind of it feels weird to have it at the end where it's like because then you're kind of like okay well shouldn't feel like that in the end like I I think it would have been maybe more impactful at the beginning. I I can definitely see that. So yeah, I I can definitely see where it would be better had this uh was this story was placed at the beginning. Um I still like I, I mean this is this is a comic that I own. Like Yeah. <laughs> it is one of my favorites. Well, so, so like, do you want to tell them what the the title is? Okay. On yes. the actual cover? The title on the actual cover is A Death in the Family. A which, bit of a spoiler. Right. And the fuck the cover itself, which I'll go into more detail in a minute, is an actual tombstone. <laughs> so it's like That Spider-Man is like squatting on he's owling on top of. Yeah. It's weird. And like I get that they were really trying to going like, hey, you need to buy this. But at the same time, uh, you're giving away one of the like the 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 points of this being something that like you don't fully see coming and it hurts, you know? Yeah, and like it like it it was very emotional. Like, and I think I could have gotten more emotional if it was just called the gift and they came up with maybe like if they had kind of a little hidden thing that they wanted to like, you know, put a little Easter egg. Yeah. In the cover. But I I understand like, you know, they wanted it to be big, but I don't know, maybe to lean into like the 400 thing. Definitely to lean into the 400 thing because that's how Marvel approaches anything that is like, if it is a multiple of 25, they do something crazy. Uh, right. And uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting is the morning after, um, I don't know if you noticed, it has two writers. Uh, one is J.M. Matias, The other one was Stan Lee. So Stan actually came back for the 400th issue to write this, the cute, after. this cute little scene. Yeah. Uh, with Peter as a teenager. And I I really liked that. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Like, I thought it was a really cool piece, like, especially just, like, looking at it by itself. Yeah. Now, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be covering the other backup story uh, in my next episode because it actually goes with those stories. Right. Uh, it's Did called, Stan Lee come back for those two? No. Oh. But you have John Romita Jr. and John Romita Sr., both well-known Spider-Man artists, coming back to, to do the artwork for those stories. And gotcha. this is... Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'll, all cards on the table right now the that the these three backup stories my favorite thing that we have read for this oh okay it is so i if we could have had more of this kind of thing (laughs) 
I think this would have been uh, a very different um, clone saga. Right. I definitely think that this, I think the 400th as a whole is one of my, is definitely like in the top of like what we've read. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's yeah. a great, it's just a singularly a great issue. Like I was a bit nervous because it's just like, you know, we've had, we've had a journey reading the clone saga and, you know, the fact that the 400th was right in the middle of it. And I get, again, I guess I thought it was going to be the end and I don't know how it really did during, excuse me. Um, but I was kind of just like, oh, I hope it goes well. And then I saw that it was like dedicated to Stan Lee. And I was like, I hope he likes it. And then <laughs> I ended it being like, I liked it. It was yeah. good. It's emotional. And it's like, that's that's a good one to dedicate to him. Because it really just, it focuses on like one of the best characters of, Spidey franchise. Right. Now, I, I'm going to get into some of the trivia for this uh, so that we can wrap this up. Um, yeah. We've been recording for, uh, I think, longer than uh, we I ever went have. on one too many rants about Kane, and now it's like midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Not actually, but... Um, so, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to quote from... Glenn Greenberg uh, from the life of Riley. And then I'm going to possibly uh, take some of the fun out of, I don't know, fun, some of the goodness out of Amazing Spider-Man 400 when I explain how Marvel treated it later on. But (laughs) oh no! so let's first start with Glenn Greenberg. So he says, I have to say, I really love Jack. The Jackal's Little Apprentice. Don't ask me why. I just latched on to him and really got a kick out of him. He was witty, he had a lot of energy and spirit, and he brought a certain lightness to an otherwise very serious storyline. I remember being at a Spider-Man's, uh, the Spider-Man Writers Conference and just going on about how much I enjoyed Jack's presence in the stories. My exact comment was, and I, uh, I'm going to be quoting him specifically, Please remember it was a different time and uh, certain things were seen as more acceptable than they are. (laughs) My exact comment was, he's a midget jackal. How can you go wrong with that? Um, And like, look, I like Jack. Uh, I think he's definitely annoying, but like it was kind of a fun little character to have her. I like him way more than I like the jackal. I like him more than I like the Jackal, but I know he wouldn't work without the Jackal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So he goes on to say, I could go on and on about Amazing 400, but I'll try to focus on what I feel are the most salient points. First, after reading the issue, Tom Brevoort and I both figured that Aunt May probably figured out that Peter was Spider-Man as a result of the events of Amazing Spider-Man 200, published back in 1978. In that story, by Marv Wolfman and Keith Pollard, Spider-Man rescued Aunt May, and she finally overcame her fear and hatred of the web-slinger. Once she got past that, she was able to put two and two together and finally realized that the heroic young masked man who saved her was her own beloved nephew. But she decided to keep it to herself for a while until she could fully reconcile herself to that knowledge. I suspect... That as far as J.M.D. Matinas was concerned, Aunt May knew all along, from the days of Stanley and Steve Ditko. But I just couldn't buy that. Not from the way she was written in those old stories. We had access to her thoughts, and there's simply no way she knew, not that early anyway. Also, it would have retroactively made May look pretty manipulative and conniving to have let Peter go on for all that time, thinking she didn't know, to have... uh, let him work so hard to protect her from that knowledge. She could have eased so much of his burden by just telling him that she knew and that she was very proud of him. But I could accept her knowing after ASM 200, and in my mind, that was the case. 
The good thing was that it was never stated definitively in Amazing Spider-Man 400 exactly when May found out, so it was pretty open to interpretation. Yeah, and I like that, because it's very clear that it's like, it took her time to be okay with it. Yeah. Because that's the normal reaction to something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I would assume. Something big. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, I think it was nice that she kind of opened up about it when she knew she was a hundred percent okay with it. Yeah. Cause like, I, you know, I'm sure that would be hard if like, you know, you had a big thing about you and someone's just like, Oh yeah, that's totally fine. But in actuality, like they're still processing. Right. That big thing. Because then it's like, you know, you might try and have a conversation with them about it and they might have like more negative feelings about it. And it's like, but I thought you said you were okay. And, yeah. you know, you might want your support at that time. Um, wow. So, so crazy how this is also just so close to like a coming out story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also just very heartwarming. Yeah. Because it's I, like... I think- Supportive family. I don't know. I like supportive family. Glenn Greenberg goes on to say, Now, on to Aunt May's death. I had mixed emotions about it. As I've said before, I'm not really big on killing off characters, especially ones who were as important to the series as Aunt May had been. I disagreed with the writers that Aunt May had outlived her usefulness, that there was nothing left to do with her, that she should just be killed off already. I felt that was very short-sighted. Sure, these particular writers felt that way about her, but the fact was, they weren't going to be writing the books forever. Therefore, why make such a drastic permanent change that could hamper the series in the future? And I'm going to break in here, because I am of the same opinion that like killing off characters is not always the best thing to do. But this was an important thing to do. I think I agree. I think this was super important. I I think that it, like I'm sad to see her go because I like her, but like no, I I I can think of a lot more useless character kill-offs than this. Oh yeah, and I think from a character standpoint, it makes so much sense for Peter to have to move on now. Yeah, and she decided too. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. in a in a very like realistic way. Cuz she is an older adult and like now Peter is an adult. Right. And having, you know, a kid of his own. And so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in what he was saying cuz it's pretty much just restating some of what we've already said. Yeah. Um But he says, maybe I didn't like the idea of Aunt May dying from a creative standpoint, but it was so beautifully done in the actual story that it totally worked for me. So much so that I felt very strongly that this death should remain permanent, that it should not be undone in some future story, that it should stand as one of the most powerful moments in Spider-Man's history. Alas, we all know what happened later on, and I'll try to get into that in a later column. And I will fill you in on what happened later on in just a minute. <laughs> is it during the Clone Saga or no? No, it's it's after the Clone Saga. Uh, which is, I was waiting to bring it up until we got to this point. Because it also recontextualized some of, some of the stuff that we've already read. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, now for some behind-the-scenes stuff. Bob Budiansky had been in place as Spider-Man Editor-in-Chief for a short while by the time... Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 400 was being put together. As a courtesy, Bob placed a call to Stan Lee to let him know that we were planning to kill off Aunt May and to ask for Stan's blessing. Stan, gentleman that he is, was very gracious about the whole thing and certainly gave his blessing. He offered his best wishes to Bob and the Spider-Gang. Of course, when May's death was greeted with dismay and contempt by a contingent of very vocal fans, Stan publicly denied any knowledge of or involvement with that story and said that he would never want to see Aunt May die. Um, side note, he did the same thing with Gwen Stacy's death. He oh said it was fine. God. And then later, later said, oh, I never said that. That's petty. Stan. Uh, <laughs> so, Goofy Stan. 
You wrote a whole letter being like, I love Spider-Man. Right. All the things that he does. <laughs> uh, and a normal family problem. Grief. Right. Huh? So uh, you can't take it back. Greenberg goes on to say, we had a good laugh over it in the office because it was so typical of Stan. He hates to have any fan angry at him. But the absolute truth is that Bob Budiansky did indeed call Stan in advance to let him know and to ask for his blessing. And if Stan had not given his blessing, would we have done the story anyway? I mean, probably. But like I said, Stan (laughs) is a true gentleman and would not have wanted to put Bob and the writers in that uncomfortable position. So no matter how he may have really felt about it, he was very cooperative. Yeah. Now. That's funny. This is where Bob, uh, or sorry, this is where Glenn is going to get into the gimmick for the Amazing Spider-Man 400. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit of my thoughts, too. Okay. Now, remember that gimmick cover for Amazing Spider-Man 400? It was supposed to be a tombstone featuring both the familiar Amazing Spider-Man logo and a small Spider-Man figure engraved upon the face of the stone. Uh, so I don't know if, I don't, my guess is it doesn't look this way on Marvel Unlimited, but the physical copy is a, is a cutout. It is a hard, uh, like a cardstock cutout of the tombstone. And okay. the, the image on it is supposed to be like embossed, but it's done so poorly. <laughs> right. It is, it, you can't read it. It looks like, it looks like a gray blob. That's all it looks like. So uh, Greenberg goes on to say, I remember that this was the first gimmick cover that Bob had to oversee a Spider-Man EIC. And he was a little overwhelmed by it. I'm not sure it was his idea to do this gimmick cover. Um, it was an I- Or if it was an idea that was foisted upon him by our marketing department. I suspect it was the latter because the marketing guys were obsessed with gimmick covers and used any excuse to do one as often as possible. And as a comic book fan that liked a lot of the 90s stuff, yes, they absolutely did. Everything had a gimmicky cover at some point. Um, So this, I'm looking at it now on the Marvel Unlimited. Um, I misremembered. He is not owling on top of it. There is a like white, it's supposed to be like an etched, Spider-Man on a gravestone. It says right. like the Amazing Spider-Man 400, like on the top, arced, and then a death in the family underneath the like the the marble-looking Spider-Man. Right. And then like there's like a lot of like weird green and blue and brown hues on the gravestone. So imagine it's, it's interesting. Imagine this, right? where the the shape of the tombstone that's on there is just a cutout and everything on there is supposed to be embossed onto this gray thing with no ink and so it what you end up having literally is just the shape of a tombstone and you can't read anything on it it's just uh it, it it's just this flat piece i love it it's off <laughs> It is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, The only things that were worse is when they would do the holographic things because those would Mm -hmm. die out so soon. And then it would just be like this weird thing. We should do a side-by-side. Yes. Of the two covers. So um, Greenberg uh, finishes this up by saying, Final thought, I was really jazzed that Peter wouldn't get a moment's rest after Aunt May's funeral, that there was not a clean ending to the issue. I thought it was a great way to handle it. I felt that the cliffhanger ending would prevent readers from looking at ASM 400 as a jumping off point, a good way to stop following the series. I believed Peter's arrest for murder would get the readers very intrigued about what was going to happen next. So they would stick with us. At, the, at that moment in time, it was a really good feeling to be part of the Spider-Man group. And I can see that. This was a really good ending. I think it was a really good issue, you know. Yeah, I really liked the issue. And I guess because I know that it has to continue because we have a lot more scheduled to read. uh, (laughs) I'm like, okay, like this is good. 
And like, I think if it was again another scene where it's like you're in the police station and they're like, the warrant papers still aren't in yet. That would have been really right. lame. The last thing I want to talk about um, in regards to uh, this before we wrap things up, because we have we have also we've just been recording for too goddamn long. We gotta um, go <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> the Aunt May's death, it was eventually undone. And it was undone in what I think is the absolute dumbest way possible. I I am not going to get into like the lead up to revealing that she's alive. I actually have those issues too. Um because I was so into that but but it it deals with a lot with like sort of the end of the clone saga. Mm. So I'm not going to talk about that. But cool. what you do eventually find out is that there is a person who has kept Aunt May prisoner since she had a stroke, which means that the person who was in a a coma coma was not Aunt May. It was an actress hired and made to look like her in order to mess with Peter. And... This is where it gets awful in terms of like going over what we've already read because we've seen what Aunt May was thinking. We have seen uh, like her coming in and out of the coma. We've seen her like her spirit. uh, uh, And and we've seen her thoughts like trying to let go. And then we get this amazing issue where we deal with everything that like Peter's been dealing with and what Aunt May has been dealing with. You yeah. see her pass on and Peter is dealing with that. And then however many issues later, it is revealed that this is not the most even meta actress we've ever seen in our lives. It is the most insane. And I don't think they like, I don't think they get into much detail as to like how this happened, but it is, it is insane. The whole point, honestly, of bringing her back was to, because this, it happens after the Clone Saga. The whole point was to just move Spider-Man out of the Clone Saga and get everything back to kind of the way it was before the Clone Saga happened. So part of that was, well, we have to bring Aunt May back because we can't. They're they're trying to make it as though the Clone Saga never happened. Weird. <laughs> it is Awful. It is one of the worst decisions I think they have ever done. And which also means Aunt May knowing that Peter is Spider-Man is not really a thing. When she comes back, she doesn't know Peter is Spider-Man. That's it, frustrating. In fact, in, in the early 2000s, uh, there is a an entire storyline where she finds out he is Spider-Man on accident. And she's mad at him. <laughs> it's so the exact opposite. Of, yes. Okay. This is. Um, this is I'm just gonna pretend gone. that's like not a thing, and I'm just gonna I because I actually I like what they did here more. Right. Than, I I do too. You know, and I like having Aunt May around for some of those other stories. But like I said, th- there could have been a different way of doing that. Like even just Doctor Strange bring magically brings her back and she doesn't remember anything you know that's fine yeah <laughs> the, i feel like that's such a punch in the face way to bring yeah. that person back it's a shame well Ugh. anyway <laughs> uh <laughs> i hope everyone enjoyed this chaotic mess of an ep- <laughs> um, what i assume is going to be two episodes i'll make i a think decision. it has to be it, yeah it's crazy long um you Thanks can find for going on this journey. Yeah. You can find more information at comicallypedantic.com. You can also follow us on Instagram by searching at PedanticCast. New episodes come out most Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at comicallypedantic.com. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them in text or audio recording to comicallypedantic at gmail.com. Please indicate if you'd like your name or question read on the air. And don't forget, 
We still own fuckcomicsgate.com if you'd like to send a donation to the games and online harassment hotline. We will be back soon with another deep dive into the world of comics, but until then, you can find more exciting adventures at your local comic. to show you his donut that's weird okay we're back oh okay i realized i went to the other tab and then i was like i can't see when you hit record so then i came back it does a little countdown it's fine <laughs> i don't see the countdown ever yeah it, it for me it says like three two one and then it starts recording oh that's fun anyway mm-hmm. back to spider-man